Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Y'all could turn to Psalm 110. If you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 110 is where we're going to be this morning. As you're turning yesterday in prayer, I uh, had a heart picture of Jesus uh, giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation um, to us this morning. Like someone's, you know, like the Baywatch, uh, the lifeguards, they give, (laughs) well, not like that, but (laughs) Jesus is handsome because his heart is so pure, but uh, no, it's the... It's the idea that Jesus is breathing life into us, and that's what happens when we come and worship him with his people, his body, is he breathes into us fresh life, fresh faith, fresh courage, fresh love. He is, this is his heart for us, and he's very personal. He's not sending an oxygen tank in the mail. He's coming right face to face with us. That's his heart, and so just receive his breath this morning, even from his word. His word is spirit and life. When Jesus spoke, the words that he spoke were spirit and life. They imparted life in the spirit of God to the hearers. So just open up your heart and receive his word as spirit and life this morning. And so Psalm 110, entitling this message, The Eternal King Priest Judge. This is very clear in this psalm that Jesus is a prophetically promise to be the eternal king, the eternal priest, and the eternal judge forever. That's what eternal means. Forever. He is our king, he is our priest, and he is the judge of the entire universe. And so the main theme of this psalm is is this title. And I want to encourage you guys, Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament by far. It's either directly quoted or indirectly alluded to 27 times in the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit emphasized this Old Testament passage far and above over any other Old Testament passage. 27 times. The next closest is Isaiah 53 with seven references. So it blows all of them out of the water. This is how important the Holy Spirit thought this psalm was. That basically the New Testament writers were just expositing, expounding the Psalm 110 reality and explained so much of what was going on. The first apostles, they were so stunned at the events that happened at Jesus' first coming. They were expecting him to set up his kingdom on the earth and rule. They were so stunned. But this psalm enlightened them actually to what was happening and where Jesus was ruling from heaven uh, for the, in the church age. So it gave them comfort. It explained. And it kind of made them, uh, it gave them comfort so they could wrestle with this, these hard realities that Jesus wasn't with them in the flesh anymore, but he still very much was ruling. So this psalm was so impactful to these New Testament apostles that they, they were just living it out, and they were seeing this psalm lived out in front of them. And Jesus actually himself used this passage in the Gospel of Matthew to prove that he, the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, wasn't just a man in the lineage of David. He wasn't just David's great, 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 great grandson, but he was actually God himself, Adonai, the Lord, 
and someone who was above David in rank, in greatness, authority, honor, and eternality. And the writer of Hebrews used this passage to prove that Jesus is the only worthy eternal high priest of a better order than the weak and broken priesthood of Levi and Aaron. He's the only one who could actually permanently remove our sin. And then the last three verses, if we get to them this morning, I hope that we do, they paint the often overlooked and underpreached nature of Jesus as the righteous judge, as the one who will make all wrong things right when he comes back, the one who will literally kill people who are opposed to him and get blood on his garments. It's the underpreached nature of Jesus. Hopefully we can get to it this morning. This psalm is remarkable. In this psalm, David, a thousand years before Jesus would show up on the scene, is overhearing a Trinitarian conversation between the Father and the Son. The Father declares to his Son twice openly in this psalm. There are two declarations from the Father to the Son. And David, what a privilege that he got to overhear the conversation in heaven. What a privilege David had. He had two of these moments. In Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, he overheard Trinitarian conversations, and he wrote them down. I'm so glad he wrote them down. The Father audibly speaks in the four Gospels three times. He audibly speaks only three times in the four Gospels. In the first four verses of Psalm 110, he speaks twice. That's how important this is. The father is declaring things over his son. We got to pay attention. And the Holy Spirit in verses two and three and five through seven is prophetically speaking through David to David's future grandson, Jesus. And so you have all three persons of the Godhead in this psalm. And whenever you have explicitly all three persons of the Godhead in a passage of scripture, you really have to pay attention because it's so important. And so let's jump right in. I'm hoping that we get to the end, but I'm almost positive we'll get through three verses today. (laughs) So just to prepare you, (laughs) the first three verses are so glorious that we're going to get through them, okay? So verse one, the scene, I'll paint the scene before we read it out loud. The scene is the coronation of Jesus in heaven after he's ascended. 40 days after he's raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven when the disciples were watching him go up into heaven. Then an angel came and said, why are you looking up into heaven? He's going to come back. Okay, but this is the scene of Jesus entering the gates of heaven after his perfect life and perfect sacrifice and death and burial and resurrection and ascension. He's entering the gates of heaven and the Father is sitting on the throne. So proud of him. He's so proud of him for his obedience and his sacrifice and his love for him, the Father, and for humanity. He's so proud of him. And the first thing right here that is said as Jesus walks in the gates, this is the coronation scene. This is his arrival party. He sees Jesus walking in (laughs) with the scars in his hands. And he says, sit at my right hand. Sit right here in the highest place of honor in the entire universe. The best seat in the house. Sit right here. You earned it. Come right back to the place that you've been with me all along. Sit right here as king with me, ruling in heaven. Sit right here. 
So this is the scene. And David overhears this. <laughs> Look at this. He overhears, he says, David is saying, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Father. The Lord, Yahweh, the Father, said to my Lord. So David is now calling the future Messiah, his future grandson, his Lord. Yahweh said to my Lord, which is Adonai in Hebrew, God is talking to God. God says to God, the Father says to Jesus, after he's ascended into heaven, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This one verse describes the church age from the ascension of Jesus till his return and even through his return with this a thousand year reign on the earth. This one verse is describing all of the existence of church history from this moment. Jesus is at the Father's right hand in the highest place of honor, authority, in a kingly place until, there is a till, which means he's not staying there forever. Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. The Father is saying to Jesus, be my right-hand man. Be near me. Be next to me. Sit with me during the process of me making your enemies your footstool. Now, what does it mean to be a footstool? It means that Jesus' enemies will be defeated. They will be subject, subservient to his rule, his reign and authority. One day, we don't see it all right now. That's why there's still sin. That's why there's still school shootings. That's why there's brokenness, because it's until... It's a progressive victory. He's legally defeated them according to Colossians 2.15. But the outworking is according to us. It's according to us. It's, through, it's from the Father, through the Son, through us is the outworking of his victory enforced. And Jesus here, it's clear he has enemies. Jesus has enemies. That means we have enemies. Who are his enemies? It's not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's Ephesians 6.12 enemies. It's principalities. It's powers. It's the unseen realm. There are dark figures. There are dragons in the unseen realm that hate you and hate your family. They hate people. and They want, the, they want to bring them down into their rebellion and their mess forever. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, those are your enemies, and those are Jesus' enemies. Now, I've said it, this until, this word, this till, this four, four letters, this till is, is describing our existence right now, the, the church age of the last 2,000 years. Jesus, like I said, he disarmed these principalities, these powers, these rulers. That's what Colossians 2.15 says. He disarmed them. How does he disarm them? Through his blood. He's basically, anyone who receives his blood and his body coming to faith in him, those principalities, those powers, those rulers have lost their ability to eternally destroy you and in some measure have lost their ability to affect and, and hurt your life right now. The more that we apply the blood, we receive his body, the more that we come out of the influence of those, those evil rulers of darkness. But why do we still have sin? Why do we still have darkness if he, if he disarmed them, if he removed the fangs of these, of these evil snakes in the unseen realm? Well, people and nations willingly reject his antidote. 
his purchased blood and his body. And so those people who willingly reject his blood and his body, they, in a sense, rearm these principalities and powers and rulers of darkness over their lives, over their families' lives, over regions' lives. That's why there's still evil and pain in the world, because Jesus took away their arms. He took away their ability. But then when people agree with what they believe in, they rearm them. But the more that you agree with him, his word, you receive his blood and his body, you come out of the influence of those evil things. And you can live with divine health. You can live with freedom. There is freedom in this age. And we're part of that. We're part of making that happen. It's up to us to help fulfill the until of this verse. It's up to us to make Jesus' enemies his footstool. What a life mission to have that I would make, that my little feet would cause serpents and scorpions that are coming against me, my family, my church, my city, my state, my nation. What a, what a call to make Jesus' enemies his footstool. What a call to be his hand, literally his hands and feet on the earth. You know, Jesus is in heaven right now. Where are we? We're on earth. We're seated in the spirit with him, but we're on earth. He's in heaven. That means it's up to us to make his enemies his footstool through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We are, in a certain sense, we are Jesus from the neck down. Jesus is the head, Ephesians 1, 22. And he, the Father, put all things under his feet. Sounds like Psalm 110. And gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to his church, which is his body, this is us, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Guys, we are the fullness of him sitting in heaven who fills all in all. Your life matters. Your life matters so much. You're the fullness of him who fills all in all. You're Jesus from the neck down until he comes back. And then you're still Jesus' hands and feet for a thousand years that he restores the earth. We, the body of Christ on the earth, anointed by the Holy Spirit, are the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are Jesus' answer to the until of verse one. When our little feet walk into a room where there's enemy activity present, Karina walks in this, we displace and drive out that enemy. We experientially enforce, that's a key phrase, we, our little feet, experientially enforce the victory of Jesus here on the earth. And we take ground, literally we take ground in the spirit and in the natural, making Jesus' enemies his footstool in that certain area that we bring the kingdom into. Joshua 1.3, every place the sole of your little feet tread upon, I have given you. Every place the sole of your feet tread upon, I have given you. Luke 10, 19, we have all authority and power to, to make the until of verse one happen, at least in some measure in this, in this life. Luke 10, 19, Jesus speaking to us, his voluntary lovers, behold, receive this for yourself, behold, I give you, Gary Douthit, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all all the power of the enemy. Does that sound like Psalm 110? Making his enemies your footstool? He, it's so clear. I give you the, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, no thing, 
shall by any means hurt you as you're living in my blood, in my body, and in faith. Those unseen realm forces, they can't touch us as we live in obedience to his voice and his word and and are covered by the blood and receive his body daily. He says, pick up your cross daily. Take communion daily. You don't have to do it religiously. I don't do it, but I'm I'm stirred. I I want to receive his blood and his body daily. Here's another verse to empower you. John 20, 21. Remember, this is empowering us to make Jesus' enemies his footstool with our lives. There's a, it's 2021. This is a swirly prophetic verse for you. Remember it, John 2021. So Jesus said to them again, he's saying to you, saying to me, peace to you, shalom to you. Nothing missing, nothing broken for you. That's what peace, shalom means. It means everything is good. Shalom to you, peace to you. He's imparting a reality into us. It's not just a word, it's a reality. His words are spirit and they're life. Peace to you. And I just say it to everyone in the room, to minds, peace to your mind. Shalom to your mind. Peace. So he imparts peace to them, to us. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So with this imparted perfection of my shalom peace that you now possess, go just like I did. Just like the Father sent me, I'm sending you with the same authority and power. To do what? To give peace to people. That one word has every solution to every problem. Shalom peace. It's got every solution. Body, soul, spirit. That is the until. We receive his peace. We get charged up with his shalom peace. And then we release it to people by faith. Laying on of hands, speaking a word in season to him who is weary. Whatever it looks like. Body, soul, spirit. We have the peace of the king of the universe to impart. And that's how we take territory for him. We impart his peace. He imparts his righteousness. And a person's life is totally changed. Do you feel equipped? I feel equipped with that one verse. That one verse for 2021 can equip you for this year and all the years of your life. Remember, we're co-laboring with the Father. The Father said to Jesus, I will make your enemies your footstool. Well, the Father is in heaven with Jesus, so how is he doing it? He's doing it by empowering us, his kids. Because it's a family business. The kingdom's a family business. When we do something for him, it's, it, the father's like, I did that. I'll put my name on that. I'll take credit for that. And that should be our heart too. <laughs> when you bring the kingdom in, into a room and a person's life is changed, who did it? The father and you. You both did it. The family did it. Verse 2. The scene or the tone and the, the voice has shifted now. It's not the Father declaring over the Son. It's now the Holy Spirit speaking through David to his future grandson, Messiah. <laughs> so David is now like boldly prophesying to his great-great-great-great-great-grandson who happens to be his Lord and his God. Get that. David is prophesying into the future about the future Messiah's reign and what he's going to do. 
The Holy Spirit's so fun. David is emphatically prophesying. He gets like really intense with Jesus. He's like, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. Look at the people who are going to be with you. He says this. David speaking to his future grandson by the Spirit. He says, the Lord, that's the Father, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. He's saying, the Father, he's saying, Jesus, the Father is going to send the rod of your strength out of Zion. And he says, rule in the midst of your enemies. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. It literally means Zion. It literally means the physical geography of Jerusalem. It's the epicenter in this life and in the age to come when Jesus comes back. Zion, Jerusalem, that little territory in the Middle East is the epicenter of the rod of Jesus' strength. What is a rod? It's authority. It's kingly power. It's rulership. It's kingship. It's making things happen. Think about Pentecost. Think about this verse in the terms of Pentecost. Where did that happen? It happened on a holy hill in Zion, in Jerusalem. From that day forward, from that Zion epicenter where the Holy Spirit made a bullseye, bomb drop, fire and wind, it happened then, come and do it again. Fire and wind came in that Zion epicenter of that outpouring. And from that day, the rod of Jesus' kingdom, his righteousness, his peace and joy has flooded the entire earth. That's why we're here like 8,000 miles away from Zion worshiping Jesus. It's because the rod of Jesus' strength actually came from Zion through the Holy Spirit, through his people. They enforced the victory of Jesus all across the known world at the time, and here we are today. The second half of the verse, rule in the midst of your enemies, informs and commands us that the Messiah's initial rule, remember the disciples, the apostles thought he was just going to set up his kingdom there on the earth and everything was going to be gravy, going to be good, glory right there. But the second half of this verse informs us of what this life really is like with Jesus ruling from heaven through us. And informs us that the initial rule for the last 2,000 years and until Jesus and even through Jesus coming back, it would happen here on the earth, through us, in the middle of what? Middle of our enemies. In the context of great strife, great warfare, great hardship, sleepless nights, warfare, natural and spiritual, we were made for war. We really were. We were made for war. He said, rule, Josh, in the midst of your enemies. The advance of Jesus' kingdom is supposed to take place behind enemy lines. <laughs> Y'all remember that movie, Behind Enemy Lines? It's supposed to take place behind enemy lines in the darkest and hardest places of the earth. The gospel of Jesus, the rod, which is the ultimate rod of Jesus' strength, when the gospel is in your mouth with love and purity, that's the rod of Jesus' strength. That gospel shines the brightest in the places that are most hostile to the gospel. And we see it today. I've heard reports from respected people. The fastest growing churches in the world are happening where? Places like Iran, 
where it's illegal to be a Christian, Afghanistan, China. The rod of Jesus' strength has went forth from Zion and it's ruling in the midst of the enemies. The Holy Spirit through David is so bold. He's not afraid. Because the Holy Spirit, he knows he's going to fill us with what? With perfect love that casts out all fear in the midst of a war-torn Afghanistan. The rod of Jesus' strength filled with perfect love in the mouth of believer enables us to obey the second half of verse two, that we can rule in the midst of our enemies. And guys, there are a lot of enemies here in Austin. This is enemy territory. That's why my dad planted the church. That's why he chose Austin, because it was a, a dark zone in the map of Texas. If you go downtown, if you go on, you, can't, you don't have to go far to see you're ruling in the midst of your enemies, Thomas, you are. You're ruling in the midst of your enemies. And we don't have to worry, is, is it going to be so, yes, it'll be hard, but he's with us. Yes, it'll be uncomfortable, but Holy Spirit's name is the comforter. Psalm 23, 5, Jesus prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. There is a table of abundance, the abundance of his presence, the abundance of his power, the abundance of his peace, the abundance of his, of his love, the abundance of anointing. It happens in the context, and it happens in unique, special ways as we're in enemy territory. Jesus said, he corroborated this verse, Luke 10, 2, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. He's basically talking about this verse, rule in the midst of your enemies. David prophesied to him, he's like, I got to do what my, my grandfather told me to do. Go your way, because <laughs> the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And there's future glory in this verse too. There's future glory in verse two. It's not just the rod of his strength in this age where we see real victories, but we also experience defeat and loss and hurt. But the victories really are real. They are. And they last. But it's not just in this age that the rod of his strength goes forth from Zion. I alluded to it earlier. But when Jesus comes back, where is he going to set up his throne, his kingdom? Where's going to be the governmental complex of his rule and reign for a thousand years when he restores the whole earth? Is it going to be in Austin? No, it's going to be in Zion. It's going to be in Jerusalem. Austin is not the live worship capital of the world. Jesus, or Zion will be. Jerusalem will be. We can, we can hold the torch until they find out who they are. And I'm, I'm glad, I hope that happens. I hope we are the live worship capital of the world until Jerusalem finds out who they are and finds their song. But that's the ultimate. When Jesus returns, <laughs> he's gonna rule from Zion. The rod of his strength is gonna go forth and restore the whole earth through us. And I've talked about it a little bit, but some of his enemies will be openly defeated in this life. But when he comes back, all of them will. And it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. There's a progression. We have this idea when Jesus comes back, he's just going to wave his hand and everything's going to be made right. No, there's going to be real physical pro uh, progression of his victory and an ongoing restoration of the earth over a thousand years because he's a man. 
He doesn't suspend natural human processes when he comes back. <laughs> he's a man like Benjamin. He's a man. He's going to drink water as he's killing his enemies. We're going to see that in verse 7. Yeah. All right. Verse 3. This verse is where we come in the picture most clearly. David still prophetically speaking to Jesus really boldly, roaring at his future grandson, who happens to be his Lord and his God. <laughs> David says, by the Spirit, Jesus, future grandson, Messiah, your people, the Jesus people, shall be volunteers, or they shall give themselves freely to you in your army in the day of your power. <laughs> Jesus, you're gonna have a voluntary army of love that will lay down anything and everything at any cost to follow your voice, to sit at your feet. You're gonna have a people that are all in and they won't be looking for a paycheck. They won't be mercenaries. They won't be forced lovers. It won't be a shotgun wedding. They're gonna wanna be there. And they're gonna give away everything to be with you. There won't be a draft where it's like, oh, I got to go. They're going to be knocking at the door. I want to be where you are, Jesus. I'll, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper. I'd rather just be on the porch listening to whispers of worship music than dwell in a million-dollar tent of wickedness. That's the heart of these, these verse 3 people. He said, Jesus, you're going to go through some intense stuff. <sighs> but it's going to be worth it because you're going to have a voluntary people, free will offering to the Lord in the context of the day of your power. Now, what's the day of his power? We've had little D days of his power throughout history. The day of Pentecost was a big day of his power, but it wasn't the ultimate capital D day of his power. Revivals of old in upstate New York on Azusa Street, in Wales, in uh, Toronto, in Brownsville. There's been little D days of his power. We experience even here in our church. Bethel Austin experiences it. Other places, there's little D days of his power. And during those days, you don't have to compel someone to serve as a host or an usher or come to a prayer set, or be with the kids, because his presence is there. And they would just rather, they'd much rather just be on the porch if, if they couldn't even get in. I, I'll just show up and listen in. Maybe I can catch a glimpse of his voice or worship music. That's the heart. In the day of his power, people will come flocking just to be in the room. They're just happy to be in the room. And they will give themselves to his cause. Now, the ultimate capital D day of his power, guys, there's this incredible promise in Revelation 12.10. There will be a worldwide spiritual open heaven. According to Revelation 12.10, the last three and a half years of human history before Jesus comes back, the Antichrist is going to take off his mask and reveal who he really is, that he's a man of war, a man of hate. He hates Jesus. He hates the Jews. He hate, hates the Bible. He's going to reveal who he is, but at the same time, 
there will be the most unprecedented glory of God that will fill the earth and fill this army. They're going to fill this army with the, the day of Pentecost on steroids. There will be a corporate, a worldwide open heaven, meaning there's no resistance by the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, because they will all be cast to the earth, meaning they've lost their air supremacy. And every prayer you pray, there's no blockages. Every prayer of faith you pray, the, the two witnesses will be calling down fire from heaven, doing whatever they want in the name of the Lord. There will be no resistance. And it will be so clear whose side are you on. So I believe the ultimate day of his power is, yes, it's the three and a half years leading up to the return of Jesus, the last three and a half years of human history. And that's what this army was made for. Prophets of old have seen, and we'll get to that in a second. I'll put a pause on that. But the day of his power, you're going to become willing to do whatever he asks you to do. And right now in the scope of, of the planet, it's pretty rare, not in this church, in some of the circles we're in, but it's pretty rare to meet an all-in, laid-down, joyfully, voluntary lover of Jesus who will give anything at any moment for any cost. But as the, get this, guys, as the time gets near for his return and the day of his power gets closer and it increases, the, the revival spirit increases, it will actually be the norm to be a laid down, all in lover who just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and do whatever he tells him to do. There's 144,000 in Revelation, the Jewish, literal Jewish male virgins who will follow Jesus wherever he goes. There's 144 of them, 144,000. That they will be like the, the apostles that will come back before he comes back. They'll be leading the way. They really will be. They'll be giving themselves freely, whatever he says. This will be the norm. This verse will be the norm. And I feel like a lot of us in this room are, are already there. And yes, we have places to grow. We have plateaus to overcome, but he's faithful. See yourself in this verse. Continuing to verse three. This is a description of the Jesus people who will rule and enforce his victory. This is us before and after his return, the Holy Spirit gushing affectionate terms over us. The Holy Spirit loves you, and he's de he describes you really well to Jesus through David. <laughs> 3,000 years before you're here. He describes us as walking in the beauties of holiness, in the beauties of holiness. Now, this is a term in the Old Testament for the priestly garments, the garments that the priests would wear. This is a term, the beauties of holiness. When they saw the priests walking, it's like they're walking in the beauties of holiness. It's literally their garments. So it's talking about what, we'll, what we will be arrayed in. And we'll get to that in a second. But before that, I just want to tell you, the only true beauty in the earth is holiness. It's the holiness and purity of your heart. First Peter 3 makes that really clear. Isaiah 53 makes it clear that nothing was outwardly handsome about Jesus. Yet he's the most beautiful man who's ever lived because of the purity of his heart. The people who said yes to Jesus, he was the most beautiful because of his heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. 
the only true beauty that lasts is holiness and purity of your heart. It really is. Corey Ten Boom, Mother Teresa. They might have not had contracts in Milan as supermodels, but I look at them, I say, you're beautiful. They're beautiful. And forever, they will shine with a measure of glory based on their obedience that will blow us all away. The beauty of some of the saints, the beauty of some of you in the room will blow all of us away. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. I think it's 15. Different measures of glory we will shine forever based on our obedience. These women (laughs) are beautiful forever. There will be many beautiful people physically on the earth who will be grotesque forever. They will be in hell rotting forever. But these and us will shine like the stars But again, this term beauties of holiness refers to what garments we are arrayed in. And just like a football jersey tells us what team someone is on, I wore a Browns jersey yesterday, showed what fan I was. (laughs) These holy, catch this, the people of God, the end time army of God, which I believe this is us in this room, especially the young ones. The end time army of God will be arrayed with the team, the priest team. They're gonna be on the priest team. This, the garments tell us our identity and our, the spirit that we'll walk in. What is the priest team known for? We are people with a priestly spirit. What does that mean? It means we exercise lifestyles of prayer, worship, sacrifice, consecration, primarily ministry to God first. The end time army will be so First commandment, to love God first. That'll be in first place. It really will be. We're going to be on the priest team. Ministry to God first, and then from that place, the outflow ministry of this end time army, will the ministry to others will consist of teaching the Bible and discipling people one-on-one. Not looking again for the big platform, but being really intentional with the one by teaching them the Bible. That's what the priests of old did. They taught the law. They were a light to the people. And they had compassionate, tender hearts as they did it. They're not going to come in and just whack you over the head. They're going to tenderly teach you the Bible with compassionate love. So that's us. We're, We're on the priest team. So get your priest garments ready. Go to him first. Get your oxygen from him first. And then from that place love and teach and serve and disciple people one-on-one. And you're going to change the world. You really will. Jesus only had 12. Well, he really only had 11. And he changed the whole world. So if you impact 11 people in your life, you did what Jesus did. Okay. Uh, Worship team, you go ahead and come up. Yeah, we're only going to get through three verses. (laughs) The last four are glorious verse four, and then five through seven, wow. But the Holy Spirit is saying through David to Jesus about us (laughs) that this free will, voluntary army of lovers will rule and enforce, remember the verse one, we gotta make Jesus' enemies his footstool? We will rule and enforce the victory of Jesus, not from a works-based 
lifestyle, but rather a priestly lifestyle. Where's our most damage going to be done to the kingdom of darkness? It's in the place of intercession, worship, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then from that place, tenderly teaching and discipling people what you've caught in the prayer room. It's the opposite of the Ephesian church that Jesus said, you're doing all the stuff, but you've lost your first love. There's not going to be a first love problem for this voluntary end time army. If you feel like that's a problem, God is faithful. He's going to restore the lamp of your first love if you keep asking him and showing up. The last phrase, or the two last phrases we'll look at, from the womb of the morning. This phrase speaks. We'll go back to verse three. This end time army, the voluntary lovers of God, will be volunteers in the day of David's power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning. This little phrase puts the context of this verse in its fullness and intensity. The womb of the morning is a phrase for the dawning of the new day, when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom physically on the earth. So he's saying this verse will find its greatest fulfillment. Yes, there's been echoes, little d's throughout history, and little voluntary armies of youth revivals and youth lovers. But ultimately, this is in the context of the womb of the morning. This voluntary love army of of young people will welcome in the new day. The morning star Jesus will literally come back and rise on the whole earth. And he will give birth, a womb gives birth. Jesus will give birth to the age to come. His his, uh, governmental authority for a thousand years. He will do this through this army. That's through us. So it sets the context of the end times, specifically those last three and a half years. But it starts now. It started 2,000 years ago. Jesus said I was coming soon 2,000 years ago. He didn't misspeak. (laughs) A thousand years are a day to the Lord. So this is the context. Let's look at the last phrase, and this is the phrase my favorite of the whole psalm, I believe. It's got two main interpretations. We can go ahead and stand up if you would. This last phrase of verse three, it's got two main interpretations. They're, they're kind of wildly different interpretations. It's a kind of a cryptic Hebrew phrase here, but two main interpretations that you'll find in the, uh, most of the different translations. And they're two very different once, but which, which one of them is true? Both. They're both true. And that's, that's a principle of the kingdom. That so many things in the kingdom are both and. They're both true. There's fullness in every verse. There's many ways to view it and to apply it to your life. And so David, still prophesying to his future grandson, to Jesus, he says, Jesus, Messiah, you have the due of your youth. In the context of this army, you have the dew of your youth. Now, what does that mean? Well, taken very literally, the first thought is that it speaks of Jesus' eternal vigor and strength. It means that Jesus is the fountain of youth that those Spanish people were looking for. (laughs) He is the fountain of youth. He's the fountain of eternal life. He's the ancient of days, yet he stays young forever. He's fresh and flourishing 
Like Psalm 92 talks about the people who are planted in the house of God. He's fresh and flourishing forever. He never gets old. He never grows old. He's eternal. And guys, catch this. As his loving bride, in the context of this, we too will all possess the dew of our youth forever. For some of the older ones in the room, you're going to be so full of vigor, so full of strength forever. You're not going to have a a sore back or sore knees. You really won't. You're going to be fresh and flourishing forever. The second, and this is the interpretation that just wrecks me in the best way, and what I want to turn into decades of intercession. I want to turn this phrase into decades of intercession. As a young uh, adult and youth pastor and someone who cares for this Gen Z, this next generation, someone who wants, who's asking God, would this be the generation that welcomes in your return? I ask him that. I hope that it is because I want to see him. If I don't see him, I want them to see him. The early church, they lived for that day. They, they didn't live for the weekend. They lived for the day that Jesus came back. <laughs> the NIV translates it this way. David says to Jesus, your young men, Jesus, your young end time army will come to you in voluntary love like the dew from the morning's womb. The word youth here is a collective noun. It's that of a literal young army. So reading it this way, we can see an amazing promise that at the end of this age, before Jesus returns, there will be a massive, sweeping youth revival of all-in lovers of Jesus who will be as numerous and beautiful as the drops of dew that glitter and shine across a landscape as the sun is rising. This is the word picture of a real army who will, as far as the eye can see, (laughs) be glittering and shining with the radiance of Jesus. Bob Jones and other prophets saw a billion youth, a billion new converts to Jesus right before he comes back. Probably in that last three and a half years with the open heaven, it's going to be really easy to say yes to Jesus when you see all the evil happening. It's like, is there a better way? Yes, there is. Let me tell you. That's why I want to be here for that. I want to tell people, yes, there's a better way. Do you want to be a drop of dew for Jesus? (laughs) Can you see it, guys? I want you guys just to see this. See your kids. See your grandkids. See the high schools. (laughs) See the middle schools. See the elementary schools. See the, the youth. In fact, Brooke, can you go get the the children's church from Pastor Nate? Can you see it? The glittering, holy, sparklingly beautiful, free will, voluntary army of young lovers of Jesus cascading over the continents, singing songs of devotion and love, and living lives of radical obedience, a billion strong welcoming the king back home, back to Jerusalem. Are you part of that army? Even if you're in your 80s, you can say, yes. Yes, I'm part of that army. (laughs) I'm going to be young forever. I might as well say I'm young now. But it's literally going to be a lot of young people. And just like Mary anointed Jesus with the alabaster jar of fragrant oil in preparation for his 
soon uh, sacrificed on the cross, as well as the water of her tears washed his feet in devotion. Jesus also, in a certain sense, will be anointed by our songs, will be anointed by our love. It will be like dew that, that rests upon him, that rests upon the whole earth. And so I just wanna invite all the kids up here. This is our first response. Y'all can, uh, yeah, y'all can stand wherever you want, just up front, yeah. <laughs> can you see the dew of Jesus' youth? Can you see these young people who would give anything for Jesus? They'll do anything for him. They'll do anything to bring others to him. This is what Jesus longed for. This was part of the joy that, that it caused him to endure the cross. And guys, these young ones can be the part of the joy that caused us to endure our crosses. Samuel, you're at a campus in UT that's riddled with young people. Can you see them as part of Jesus' army? Will you pray that? Will you pray that they will be like the drops of dew in the army of God? And so let's, let's just extend your hands to the kids right now. Thank you, kids, for coming in. Let's believe him. Let's just declare over them that these young ones will give themselves freely. They will experience the Davis power. Just start praying for the Davis power over their life. Because it won't be, won't be hard to give themselves to Jesus when his power is real. When they see him healing their friends when they see him touching their own lives and their family's lives. It's not gonna be hard for them. Let's just release the day of his power. Jesus, would you bring the day of your power on these young ones? Would they give themselves freely to you? Lord, would they be arrayed with the priestly garments? Would they love to sit at your feet? Would they love to worship? Would they love to pray? Would they love to teach your word and tenderly disciple others? Lord, would they bring in the womb of the morning? Would they welcome you back? Or we just believe you for this generation Z, God. Lord, we believe you for this generation. We bless them with encounters with Jesus that change everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Y'all can go with your your parents, or go back, either way. <laughs> so guys, we're gonna respond here to close. There's four responses. Right now, Jesus is in heaven. He is in heaven, ruling four primary ways. And I, I saw the Lord releasing his ministry from his exalted place at the right hand of the Father. Verse four says he's a priest forever, meaning he always was a priest, he is a priest, he always will be a priest. He's got priestly ministry for you today. He's got the Father's ear with nothing in between for you today. So the first way that he rules is by, the first three ways are by his intercession. So the first way that I wanna invite us to respond, the first way that he rules in heaven is through his blood. His blood is forever on the mercy seat in heaven. It's forever speaking mercy and forgiveness over you. And I felt like the Lord wanted to break people from cycles of sin consciousness, break people from cycles of feeling condemned, of when you mess up a little bit, it, 
yes, there's holy conviction and that's good, but the, the stuff that goes after that, after you've, after you've asked for forgiveness and you, you have a hard time believing that Jesus has forgiven you, he wants to rule in your life today by declaring forgiven over you that the accuser is a liar, the devil is a liar, and his blood is speaking mercy over you. So if you feel that way, that, that you're probably, it's probably a sign that you're really walking in holiness because the devil wants to remind you of past sin and get you out of experiencing the grace and freedom of the blood. So if anyone feels like, I, this is me, I get, I get, I do the smallest thing and it just wrecks me. And it's like, I know that's not the heart of the Father. So I'm right there with you. So if that's you, just I invite you to step forward, receive his rule of his blood. And as you're stepping forward, there's like a fountain of blood that's washing you clean. And I believe there's power in the blood right now to break free from cycles of condemnation. Cycles of feeling like you're never enough. Cycles of feeling like you don't have the righteousness of Christ or you are not the righteousness of Christ. Just receive his blood right now. His blood is on the mercy seat. His blood is speaking forgiveness, mercy, forgiveness. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're clean. You're perfect. You're clean. You're perfect. Receive his perfection right now. And this is a way that he's ruling. Let him rule with his blood. The second way is, is Jesus prays for himself. <laughs> you know Jesus prays for himself? John 17, he prayed for himself. He's praying for himself in heaven right now. Jesus, the Father told him in Psalm 2, he said, ask of me, Jesus, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The Father gave Jesus a prayer to pray back to the Father so he could answer it. Jesus right now is asking the Father for the nations for his inheritance. He's also asking the Father to make all of his enemies his footstool. Those are the two main prayers of Jesus that Jesus is praying for himself. Father, give me the nations for my inheritance. Father, make my enemies my footstool. You know the two most powerful prayers you can pray are the prayers that Jesus, are, he's literally praying? There's no doubt. So if you wanna live a lifestyle, this is a second response, of joining in the rulership of Jesus, asking him for the nations, you're stepping forward to say, I want to see my region on fire for Jesus. I want to ask him for this part of the nation. That's all you have to pray. You literally just have to say, Father, would you give Jesus Lake Travis? Father, would you give Jesus Austin? He's going to answer that prayer through you. So if you want to live a greater lifestyle of seeing the nations come to Jesus, that's it. You're just stepping forward. I want to cons consistently pray the prayer that Jesus is praying for himself. Psalm 72 that says that Jesus, a prayer will be made for him continually. Even in the age to come, he will have a prayer team. Do you want to be on, you're stepping forward to be on Jesus' prayer team right now. He's got an intercessory team and he will forever. Ask him. Ask the Father to give Austin to Jesus, to give America to Jesus, back to Jesus, and to make enemies his foot. So third, third way that Jesus rules right now, and he has been ruling the last 2,000 years, is by praying for us. He intercedes through real-time, right-now prayers at the right hand of the Father for our help and our complete sanctification.
Hebrews 7.25, Romans 8.34. There's a lot of verses. The subject of these prayers is primarily for our inner life growth of love, purity, holiness, humility, joy, peace. He's praying for our inner life. It's similar to one, to the first way of the rules, but it's, he's basically, he's praying for us to not quit. So if you want to respond this way, if you feel like it's, you, you might already be at the altar, but receive the ministry of Jesus that he's praying for you, Micah. He's praying for you. He's praying for each one of these. He says, Lord, Father, I pray that their faith may not fail so that when they have returned, they may strengthen their brethren. Lord, I pray that you would root out things in their heart that aren't in alignment with me. Lord, would you give them my peace, give them my joy. He's praying for you that you would not quit. So just receive that ministry of perseverance. Jesus is praying for perseverance. There's new muscle fibers for you responding to that today, to not quit. And last, and we'll close with this, and feel free, guys, if you need to go, please go. The last way, my dad had this as the response last week, but the fourth way that Jesus is ruling in heaven right now is by empowering us according to his Holy Spirit. He's anointing us with the Holy Spirit so that we may pray, speak, and obey according to his will. Jesus is releasing the rod of his strength by anointing us with his Holy Spirit and power. And so, if you responded last week for a fresh dose of power, you can respond again. If you weren't here last week and you want to receive more, we'll, we'll close with this prayer. And the worship team will sing and, and you guys can go. Or just linger. There's, it's okay to linger receive more. So I'm going to pray this fourth way that he rules over us and the worship team will go and we'll be done. Father, thank you that your son is ruling at your right hand right now. Father, I thank you that you are listening to his prayers for himself, for us, for the nations. Father, I thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit that you gave to Jesus to give to us. And Lord, I pray right now for fresh empowerment for your people to make your enemies your footstool. Lord, I pray that shalom peace of Jesus that they can impart to others. Lord, would you speak peace to people so that they can release it to others. Lord, restore power to your church. Restore power to every willing heart in the room right now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.